0: Welcome to the game theory podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by the athletic today on the show. Bryce Simon is in the building. We're going to dive deep into the rookie class. The way that we've structured this, we're going to dive into the 11 rookies that you need to know through the first month of the 2023, 24 NBA season. Bryce, what's going on, buddy?
1: Well, Sam, I was hoping to get on here and talk about my American Eagles upsetting the Georgetown Hoyas tonight, and Georgetown mounted a crazy comeback and won an overtime, so I don't get to do that. Um, That also kept me from watching the entirety of the Chet Holmgren Sensational Game on Saturday night that's number one on my queue, but I only got through the first quarter. I can't say anything about the team behind me because they got blasted by 40. So I don't got nothing. Let's talk about rookies because anything I kind of wanted to come on here and be happy about didn't end up happening.
0: Yeah. You, uh, you texted me this morning and you were like, yeah, you could put on the Pistons game. I was like, yeah, I watched eight minutes of it. And I was like, no, I'm going to pass on this. <laughs> that's, a, so that's a hard pass.
1: <laughs> at halftime, I said, you know what? My four-year-old wants to go try riding his bike without his training wheels right now. This is one of those points in my life where I'm going to go do that. I need to go do that because I spend enough time watching games. My kid wants to do this. This is a disaster. I'm going to go spend time with him out on the street with him riding his bike. And I'll download the Pistons game on Synergy and watch it in 45 minutes first thing tomorrow morning. So any Pistons Pulse listeners, I do watch every single game in its entirety. It just may not be live.
0: Yeah. No, I don't blame you. Like the faster you can get through those Pistons games right now, the better. Because (laughs) there's nothing going right with that team. They're hurt. They have no spacing. They have at least. I think Killian was hurt today, so he, he didn't, didn't play, play today. Yeah. Um. They moved Ivy back into the starting lineup. They're just all over the map. Kevin Knox like got signed off the street and is starting now for the Pistons. Uh, he was okay like in their first two games. Like I'm not even mad not on some level, but like, yeah, it, it was. Uh, Ke- Kevin Knox is not an NBA starter. We'll just go yeah, with
1: that. No- too many non-starters in the starting lineup at times for the Pistons. And it, we, that's a whole nother thing. If you want to hear about it, Tuesday night, we're recording this live. Me and Omari on the Pistons Pulse. You can watch it live on YouTube, 6 p.m.
0: Eastern. Love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, we're not going to talk about the Detroit Pistons except for one guy. We, we will, are yeah. going to talk about the NBA draft rookies from the 2023 class and one from the 2022 class. And that's where <laughs> we're starting. Chet Holmgren, my God, you are a star. Uh, Chet Holmgren dropped 36 points last night on the Golden State Warriors. You said that that's the game at the top of your queue. I watched that game last night. I'm going to be breaking that whole thing down over on YouTube. It'll be up tomorrow morning, uh, Monday in the United States, Monday morning. It'll be like an hour. It was unbelievable seeing him operate against the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors are a team that puts rookies into all sorts of pretzels a lot of the time because they are very smart. They move incredibly well off the ball. The offense is very intricate in a lot of ways. Seeing Chet anticipate and navigate some of that defensively, I thought was really, really impressive, but it was offense. I mean, Chet Holmgren dropped 36 in this game. I think he had like 12 rebounds. He had a few assists. He was unstoppable in a lot of ways and Taylor Snare, uh, who does dunksandthrees.com, he has EPM, which is by and large considered one of, uh, really not one of, it, it is considered the top public-facing model in the NBA at the very least. He has Chad Holmgren is a top 10 player in the league right now, based off of what we've seen. Look, I don't think Chet's been a top 10 player personally, but I do think he has been unbelievably phenomenal. And if you made me pick a rookie for rookie of the year right now, it's Chet. And I don't really think it's that close. Like all due respect to Vic. I think Vic is in a way more difficult spot. We'll talk about that momentarily. But Chet Holmgren is your rookie of the year through this first month. Again, I think he is very clearly the guy. Yeah,
1: I agree. I think I had this in my questions for each one of these guys we're going to talk about. And I don't know if we'll get to the question for each of them. You know how we can go time wise, but I had, is he the rookie of the year over Victor right now? And my answer would have been yes as well. I don't know that I would say it's going away, but my answer, and I don't think I'd have to think about it for a long time would be Chet. As I reference stats throughout this guys, Uh, I did greater than five games played, greater than 10 minutes per game. Chet isn't necessarily leading rookies in a bunch of categories, but he's like second or third in almost every single one. And the one he is leading in is net rating. That's all via NBA.com. We'll get into more of those later. But he's shooting 44% from the three, 55% from the field. He's 50, 40, 90 right now, Sam. Chet is 50, 40, 90 right now. With what he does defensively, it's so impressive. And I like this. This is what I really like about Chet. So I go to Synergy, and I look at just play types, right? What do they do? He's spot-ups, role-man, transition. I saw in the first quarter of this game, we are talking about SGA is doing his mid-post stuff, which I love SGA in the mid-post. Here comes Chet cutting off the ball down the middle of the lane. He's doing it in a variety of play types. Off-screen, 7%. Isolation, 6%. He does it all. And again, he's really, really good defensively. This kid is super, super special. And now my question is, going back to a few weeks ago with you, like, how important? Where does he rank on the hierarchy of the prospects on this Oklahoma City Thunder team in terms of what takes them to their ultimate ceiling?
0: Well, I mean, look, if we're removing Shea from like the prospect conversation, because we probably should, right? He's so far elevated beyond that. Yeah. Chet is the guy. Uh, he is. Like, I love Jalen Williams. I do. Ch- Chet has been incredible. J- Jalen Williams is going to be an all-star. I don't mean to like sit here and say otherwise. I think the world of Jalen Williams, but Chet Holmgren is going to be an all NBA player, I think, based off of what we've seen. And like you said, he's 50, 40, 90 right now. There are some things that he's doing that are just ridiculous. Like some of the things that he's not even making yet are fun. Like he tried to take a Dirk fade away in overtime, of this game against golden state. Like if that starts to fall at a high level and frankly, I see no reason why it won't once he gets stronger, that's going to be a real thing. The three point shooting is obviously a real thing. It's the way he decelerates as well. I think he decelerates exceptionally well. His anticipation guys really have to close out hard on him because of how high his release point is in order to contest him. He makes life incredibly difficult for opposing defenses just by his presence. And Oh, by the way, The other thing he does really well, he grabs rebounds and then he presses it down your throat, right? He is trying to grab and go on the break and he's not just going to be the trailer. Oh, if he is the trailer, he can go behind the play and knock down a three with ease. Or he can just lead the break and then he can drive and kick. He's not like some incredible, like one-handed live dribble passer, but he can make live dribble passes, you know, once he figures out, you know, that his momentum is going to be stopped. Chet kind of does everything exceedingly well. And this is the big marginal advantage that you have when you have Chet Holmgren playing the center position. He's seven foot one with a seven foot six wingspan. He can protect the rim, but more than that, it's offensively what he brings. It's not just the defense, the idea of being able to play small in the NBA, like small ball NBA centers, Chet Holmgren is the guy that people are looking for because he's great on deep. Well, he's not great on defense yet. We'll talk about that momentarily. He's pretty good on defense at least. And then offensively, you get this enormous marginal advantage of him being able to create off the bounce, being able to knock down shots, being able to pass, being able to take advantage of isolation, mismatches in the mid post or in the low post, right? There's just, the sky is the limit for Chad Holmgren across the board, I think.
1: Yeah. And I like to emphasize this. He has real grab and go ability. He doesn't have the, I can grab a rebound. And I've said this before. So I'm sorry for repeating myself, but dribble up to 35 feet away from the basket and then pass to whoever's going to actually initiate offense. He can go initiate the offense. Like he has real grab and go ability. And then you bring up him playing at the five. That's just so important. I think there was a clip going around about a Thunder offensive possession where it was drive and kick, drive and kick, drive and kick. And then somebody finally scored and somebody commented on it. You can do this when your five man is Chet and provides that spacing or is able to also catch, drive and kick or score. There was another one, I believe, as Steve Jones tweeted out, that was Spain pick and roll or stack pick and roll, whatever you want to call it. And the Thunder used SGA, a guy we're about to talk about, Cason Wallace, and Isaiah Joe. And I don't know if Chet was on the court for this or not, but my point is you can afford to put those three guys in Spain action because Chet can space the floor in the corner. So it just, it allows you to do really creative things because of his skill set.
0: It's that. And the other thing I want to point out here, just in general about Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City, I think, has underrated, built a team of killers. Like, Yes. I think that it hasn't gone stated enough. Shea is a killer. Chet Holmgren, that dude is a killer. He is competitive as shit. He wants to rip your heart out every time he takes the court. Jalen Williams is sneaky, a killer. I am telling you guys, like he is a really competitive dude. He's really like a great guy off the court. You see the YouTube videos, you see him like in interviews. You know, I know people that like have trained him and know him and everything. Like he is that, like he's a genuinely great guy, but he steps on that court between those lines. That dude is trying to rip your heart out. He is competitive as hell. Josh Giddy is competitive as hell. Case and Wallace, Lou Dort. These dudes are competitive as hell. Finding these competitors. Is what separates and has elevated Oklahoma City, I think, to where they're not just a building team. They are competitive now. They are competing for Western Conference finals berths as soon as this year. And I think that the biggest thing there is the fact that they've built this team of killers who are also young, who they're going to be able to keep on their roster for the next five or six years, hopefully. But. Dudes that are going to be able to compete throughout the early stages of their development because of that competitiveness. People ask
1: us all the time, Sam, about lessons we learned through the NBA draft process, right? And this is one I want to try to do a better job of this year. As I get into a world where I acquire more, quote unquote, intel for the last couple of years, especially before last season, I didn't get any intel. But as I've made relationships and connections and know people, I'm going to try to do a better job of listening to that stuff better. Because I remember, my point is, I remember people talking about, I'm buying Chet. You you listen to broadcasts, you listen to podcasts, everybody that talks, he's a competitor. He's all of the things you just said. And there was guys in this last class where there was some of that same stuff. You heard about the Thompson twins and all about how hard of workers they were and the type of players, the kids they were and those type of things. And so I think that's one thing with Chet is, Sometimes because we can't see that stuff necessarily, but that stuff matters. I think we both believe that and and think that that's true. And Shed is showing it in full force right now um, through how many ever games, 13 games of his rookie
0: season. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent right. I mean, I noted the word competitive four times in the draft guide, write up that I wrote up on chat. I wrote about toughness three times, like, It's all that like this was all there. This was all immediately abundantly evident with chat. I do want to note, like there are a couple of small things with chat that are there. I think he does a good job of like dropping his hips to cut off drives. And I think he's doing a pretty good job of like understanding his positioning early on. It was funny, like watching him process, like having to guard Steph Curry in ball screens throughout the course of that game. Like one time he got caught by being too low and then Throughout the game, like, he'd lift his level a little bit higher, a little bit higher. Then by the end, like, he was doing a pretty good job on them. But I think that, like, where he struggles is, like, to turn a little bit. Like, he struggles a little bit turning his hips. He puts himself in these, like, puts himself in these really awkward positions sometimes where it's a foul or gets beat in some way, shape, or form he's somebody because of his strength being what it is right now. He does need to kind of be in that position to be able to impact things at a high level. He's not some crazy athlete. He is explosiveness wise. At least he doesn't have great like quickness or speed. He doesn't have uh explosive leaping ability. Right. But he gets off the ground quickly. He, he's like, he's twitchy without being explosive. Kind of, he gets off the ground quick. Uh, he anticipates really well. He, I think, decelerates like pretty well. Th- there are a lot of athletic things that he does have that translate really, really well. But I think that some of the athletic, you know, maybe not questions, but some of the athletic concerns pre-draft, they do pop up from time to time. And it'll be interesting to see how teams deal with that. The other thing that I noted from the Golden State game I'm just fascinated to see these teams, right? They've played three times already, one time without Stephen Curry. Oklahoma City has won two of them. If these two teams play in a playoff series, the just very obvious adjustment to me is to put Aaron Andrew Wiggins on Chet Holmgren and have Kavon Looney sag off in help off of Josh Giddy, Lou Dort, Cason Wallace, whoever it is. Now, the counter to that counter, if you're Oklahoma City, is to put Isaiah Joe on the court instead of those guys. But I just am really, really intrigued by the way that these two teams match up with one another in like, the cat and mouse games that they were playing last night. It was really, really fun to watch.
1: Well, yeah, and that's what this Thunder roster has with some of these guys is they can be a little bit creative. We know that that's what the Warriors have as well. And speaking of Isaiah Joe, man, like I have fallen absolutely love in love with Isaiah Joe. I think he's a really good player. This Thunder team is just a blast to watch in general. I think we will be interesting with Chet and, you know, obviously he played the Warriors a few times already, but is, you know. How does he learn to process these things? How does he learn these different things as he goes throughout his rookie season, right? Like that's one thing you really like to see is, do they learn this lesson from this game? Do they learn this lesson from playing that player and then apply it to this player? So that will be interesting just to see his growth. He's this incredible. And maybe he's had a little bit of an advantage in the learning curve because he was around the team all last year, but it's still different when you actually get out on the floor and you have to cut off that and call out this scheme and this coverage and so it will be interesting to see how he's able to grow just the processing of him defensively combined with the length and some of the other things he can do
0: yeah no i think that that's dead on let's uh talk about oklahoma city's other rookie because that is number two on this list of rookies you need to know case wallace has been great so far for Oklahoma City, I really love the way they're utilizing him. They use him kind of in like short bursts a lot of the time, where he goes out and defends his ass off. Like they had defending Steph like late in that game for a couple of possessions, and then they use him like in short rolls as a screener. They use yes. him uh, in just a lot of really fun, creative ways. I- I've been super, super impressed with Kason to this point. And he looks like, you know, everything that you, everything that I've talked about now for two years on the show about the way Oklahoma City drafts, uh, he is super, super smart. He processes the game exceptionally well, extremely skilled. He doesn't have like the theoretical, uh, you know, size. I always talk about like size processing skill. Like that's the intersection of things that Oklahoma City looks for in addition to like being good human beings plus competitive dudes. Kaysen you know, doesn't have the traditional size, but he plays drastically bigger than he is because he's so strong through his lower half. You can guard; he can guard fours, he can guard, you know, ones and Stephen Curry. He's just so capable in that way.
1: Well, and I want to make a quick point: this, not at all, we're not ranking these guys. These are just eleven rookies that we're going to talk about. So, just want to quickly before anybody freaks out, Thunder fans, maybe you got excited. Everybody else is like, "What are they doing?" This is not a ranking whatsoever. All right. Kaysen, this is silly stuff, Sam. Kaysen Wallace, this is NBA, this isn't rookie, is roughly around 75% in true shooting and effective field goal percentage. You want to know the other guys in the NBA playing somewhat significant minutes that are in that area? Jalen Smith, Luke Cornett, Nick Richards, Powell, Lively, Gafford, Williams, Mark What do all those guys have in common, Sam? All they do is catch the ball at the rim and dunk it. And I, I realize I'm like, Making that seem way more simple than what it is, but it's not six foot four guys like Case and Wallace. It's just crazy. The only two guys that aren't like seven footers like that are Nick Batum and Alex Caruso, that were in the top 10 in these categories. Like he's just insanely efficient 58% on catch and shoot threes, 71% on unguarded threes right now. This kid can shoot it. And then I loved his defense coming out of college. All the things you said, I would reiterate. We don't need to go over it again. And I'm with you. They use him in creative ways. His usage isn't super, super high. It's actually one of the lowest on this list, but he's still being impactful, and they just find ways to use him the right way.
0: So with Kaysen and with Chet, the thing I want to emphasize here is that Oklahoma City has done an incredible job of putting these guys into phenomenal positions for their success to thrive right? Uh, They have made it very, very easy for these guys to find success in the NBA. And that's a credit to them, right? Like a huge, huge credit to Oklahoma City as an organization. They're making life easy on their rookies, which is great. That's how you develop guys. That's how you get them reps in the NBA and allow them to get comfortable with the speed of the game, which allows them to expand their games. Then moving forward, uh, Kason is no different than Chet in that regard. Chet's role is obviously more expansive, of course, but yeah, I love everything I've seen from Oklahoma City so far. They are sitting at uh, their record is nine and four, I believe. Nine and four, fourth in the Western Conference. They're young, they're tough, they're physical, they defend, they process the game super well. It's really all about feel. Gregory Castillo just says good decision makers that are unselfish. That's a huge, huge piece of it. That's really it. Uh, Bryce, do you have anything else on Oklahoma City or do you want to move on? Just real quick, what do you think? What do you think Kaysen's ultimate
1: role is with this team? Like, do you think this is kind of what it is? Like backup sixth, seventh man, the first guard that plays this unique role, or do you think there's eventually something more for him? Like, I don't want to deme- demean what he's doing. Like, if this is it, I I think that's a huge role on a team that's really, really good. So I'm not saying there does need. I think we always like, oh well, he has to get better. Like this is pretty damn good right here and pretty damn valuable. But do you think there's something more for Kaysen or does this maybe end up being his sweet spot for what is most successful for him?
0: I think the role will expand beyond this. Like I think he's a capable, you know, shot creator in the mid range and we haven't really seen a ton of that yet. Uh, I think he is obviously a great defender and that'll continue to be. It'll be like Lou Dort with more offensive skill kind of like all due respect to Lou who's carved out an awesome career and who, you know, I like really have always loved. Like, I think I had a first round, first round grade on Lou that year as well. Like he's a fantastic, fantastic dude. And I am really excited to see Kacen probably expand a little bit beyond that because of just the way he is so physically gifted and, and the difference between those two is processing ability as much as anything like Lou Dort is still like a decision maker who is questionable from time to time, who they put into kind of a box to make work. Uh, Kaysen is going to be able to expand beyond that and run ball screens comfortably and be aggressive and impactful. Like he, maybe he runs six or maybe he runs second units and starts a lot of the time, right? Like there are just a lot of different things I think you can do with Kaysen that will make him expand beyond the role he's cur- currently in.
1: I just wondered, like, and this team doesn't have the big decisions to make for a couple of years. And I was like looking at SGA's contract today. And I was like, that's going to look like a steal with him being a superstar and on the book for less than 40 million with where the cap's going and what other superstars are going to be on the books for in two years from now. I just... I wondered if the natural progression, whenever it does become a little more expensive for this team, was like, man, maybe we got to let Lou Dort go, even though he's been really good for us, and then you just cycle Casey Wallace right into that. that that's kind of why I asked, because I thought that's maybe would be the natural progression.
0: So I think that's probably what happens, but what that really does is, like, Lou is getting paid now. They can combine, I've, I talked about this, like, ad nauseum since the draft, right? Like, you can combine... Lou Dort and Davis Bertons and get into max territory. And then you could throw like a Josh Gideon, you could throw an Usman Jang on, do a deal and all of their picks moving forward. And you get into any trade discussion that you want at that point. So yeah. yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, this, this team is built incredibly well. I've talked about the way they've been built for years. People have yelled at me for like being early on this team. It's just like, no, they're here. I'm telling you, they're going to be awesome. Uh, Let's move on to the other 7 foot, you know, alien in terms of like body control and quickness and everything. Victor Wembanyama. Uh Victor Wembanyama has been fantastic I think in his own ways to start the season. He's averaging 19.3 points, 9.5 rebounds, 2.4 assists, uh 43% from the field, 28% from 3, 78% from the line. If you look at the advanced numbers, they're not going to like Victor Wembanyama. Yep. I get that. I do not care, uh, truly, in any way, shape, or form about the advanced numbers for a guy that is in his position where he does not really play with a point guard all that often. Like, I think he plays like maybe 40% of his minutes, if I remember correctly, with Trey Jones. A lot of the time it's with Jeremy Sohan out there with the starting unit. And Jeremy's a lot of things. I love Jeremy Sohan as a player, he's just not a point guard. And Everything that Victor has to do, he's creating, and he's often creating it uh, in a phone booth from time to time, right? Like, Zach Collins is a good shooter, but like, teams are okay letting him shoot threes. Jeremy Soan is not a shooter. Uh, Keldon Johnson, like, honestly, I do feel like teams are more comfortable trying to just cut off his drives. Than anything else, so you have this guy who's seven foot four, and it feels like he's kind of playing in a phone booth on his drives to me a decent amount of the time, and then he's not getting as much created for him at the rim as some of the other great players uh, that we'll talk about. You know, throughout the course of this week, he's been great. I think comparatively to what I expected, I thought it might take him a little bit longer to come along offensively off the bounce. I know that there's a lot of inefficiency there. I don't really care. I I think that the flashes have just been so high level that there's every reason to be excited about him right now, and he would very clearly be number two and rookie of the year for me.
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing is everything you're talking about and like, it's on crazy usage. And I bring that up because he's been put in a tough spot. Like you say, where they're asking him to do a ton. I believe he's top 20 in the NBA in usage percentage. That's not rookies. That's NBA. And he was like 8% more than the second rookie, which was Scoot, who we'll talk about a little bit later. So you're talking about a guy who's taking a lot of usage just in general, but especially compared to other rookies. He has five more field goal attempts per game than the second rookie. That's actually Jordan Hawkins. That really surprised me. That was interesting as we'll talk about him a little bit later, but he's putting up good numbers. And yeah, so you can understand why maybe the actual shooting numbers efficiency is a little bit less, but he does everything you're talking about. And then on the defensive end, let me ask, do you like the freedom they've given him? The The last game I watched of the Spurs, I think my notes, I refer to it as they're definitely giving him the freedom to explore the quote unquote studio space. Like that was my way yeah. of saying, like, should they try to dial it back just a little bit? Should they run some more specific actions for him? I don't know that well, I'm on it. offense
0: like, or defense on offense asking? on okay. offense.
1: Um, I don't think I mind it necessarily. It just was something that stood
0: out to me. So hmm, a fair question. I think that my answer is that I don't mind it given what's around him currently. I would like to see him play as many minutes as possible. I think with Trey Jones here moving forward, I think it'd be easier on him in some way, but look, they're three and 10. We knew this was a developmental year in this case. I think the goal is to get as many developmental reps into him as humanly possible. And a, a lot of what is going to make him great is the ability to create on ball. And if he can prove that he can do that in this spacing, I mean, I, God, I hope the spacing is never worse than what it is this year for San Antonio. Uh, and I don't think it likely will be because they have real cap space and they have uh picks coming up here throughout the course of the cycle. Look, I know that like they're probably middle of the pack in terms of like shooting threes, but it gets a little bit tight to me, I feel like. And I just think that there is real room to make his life easier. But also, if his life isn't going to be easy right now, I'm fine with him getting a chance to operate and try and create and do what he can. Look, like, you can run sets for him. Like, I think it'd be fun to run him off of more dribble handoffs. I think it'd be, mo- like, fun to run him off of, like, You know, a few more like Spain pick and rolls, particularly where maybe you can try and get like cross-matched onto a guard or something like that and shoot over the top. There are some things that you could run, but just in general, like I'm good with him exploring the studio space. One thing that I think is
1: really interesting to watch with him is the matchups that other teams put on him. I wrote this specifically from a Raptors game I watched and they were defending him with OG, which makes sense, right? But now the Spurs use Victor as a ball screener. So he's screening for Tyus Jones, who's being guarded by Malachi Flynn. So what can you not do? You can't switch Malachi Flynn on Victor Wimbinyama, And OG was late getting over to like, either play at the line or drop or what, like essentially it was a player who's not normally guarding a ball screener, having to defend a screener in a ball screen. And he was late. And I think Jones got by. And so, I just it, it struck me like okay teams want to guard him with this guy well then I think pop and the spurs can create situations where you can't switch this and I'm going to put your guy in a weird position where he's not used to defending this specific action as opposed to if it was you know Yaka Purtle or you know maybe even Scotty Barnes is a little more used to doing something like that than OG Ananobi so I just thought that was interesting that it'll be something to watch and how maybe they can manipulate those matchups.
0: Well, and I think that with Victor as well, like, you can see that this team does not get a lot of rim pressure, and yeah. it doesn't get them – like, I think they're last in, like, free throw rate, right? And I think that when Trey is out there, it's probably a little bit better because Trey's a little bit more capable of driving, but, like, they don't have to just, like, beat people off the bounce, yeah. right? Like, they – it's just hard for them in that way. But if you started to get teams into rotation a little bit, if you started to get teams moving a little bit, that's why I like, you know, somebody I saw, you know, brought up Isaiah Collier in the YouTube comments, right? Uh, if you go get Isaiah Collier, like that's the downhill, like rim pressure guy that would really, I think, start to bend the defense and start to make things a little bit easier for Victor in a lot of ways. So all this to say, like, I think that, It's hard because the Spurs struggle to, like, bend the defense uh, around Victor. So defenses are often in position, it feels like, against him, which means he just has to create. Uh, And it's hard for teenagers to create in the NBA. Uh, He's still, you know, 19 years old, and it's going to take a minute.
1: Yeah. Trey Jones, obviously, I think I may have said Tyus Jones. So yes, obviously Trey Jones in this. What about defensively? Because they're playing him yeah. kind of a little bit as this roamer, you know, where he can just, do you like that? Would you like to see it? Uh, I understand it. I get it. But I also loved the disruption. He could call the cause playing in ball screen stuff as well. So sometimes, sometimes I watch and I, 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 I don't want to say I hate, but I just would like to see him in those situations to be disruptive as well. But do you like what he's doing here? Just kind of playing this off-ball roamer role?
0: Yeah, uh, 100%. I The more I watch him, the more I hope that he can do more of that. Look, again, as we talked about with Chet, like the ultimate marginal advantage here is being able to play Victor at the five at some point. You want to be able to play him at the five so that he can play big centers off the court and thus you can get real marginal advantage offensively, you know, pull the center away from the basket, things like that. Right. But if you can find a center that can shoot next to him, like hopefully Zach Collins is, there's also real potential to play him in this Roma role. I think that, it's probably been a little bit hit or miss. It's always really funny to watch like NBA players adjusting to him still. Like they just have never played somebody with this kind of length, which makes it really, really tricky. I think when he's like closing out on their shot or something, right? So he's been impactful in that way. Uh, their defense is like a total travesty, like across the board, but I will say that like I think that they have a 118, 117 defensive rating when he's on the court and when he leaves this thing balloons to like I swear I think it's like 126 127 like it's something insane. He 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 is having a significant 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 impact on their defense and ultimately I think he's like a impactful player on the defensive end right now even as he still is like adjusting to like positioning and everything like that.
1: I'm glad you said that cuz I was going to bring it up and I didn't want to sound like a hater like obviously a lot of it has to do with his length. Obviously he can move and do things, but going back to that Raptors game, he was he was guarding OG as well. And there was a couple times he still overhelped. I thought he got caught out of position a little bit and the game plan was obviously like, hey, we're going to help and we're going to force OG to knock down the shots and he knocked down the shots. But I, I think he was still a little bit late trying to get back there. So I do think that there's still some positional things where he just has to learn the right place to be. And these are NBA players that can make shots, that can attack me on a close out. And yes, um, sometimes I can recover and block Jalen Williams. Like we saw, I believe is the preseason games, but sometimes these guys are so good. So athletic, they're going to go by me and score. So again, youngster, we're nitpicking a, a guy that's been incredible, but I think it's fair things to discuss. And just for me, it's things to watch for growth throughout the season. I always just want to see growth.
0: Uh, So Todd Whitehead, who works over at synergy or sport radar now, he, uh, released a thing of like guys who have caught the most lobs this season, right? Uh, Rudy Gobert has caught the most lobs, unsurprisingly, 14. Uh, him and Mike Conley have great synergy, obviously. Uh, Victor has only caught eight lobs in 13 games. It just feels too low, right? Like he should be able to get a lob every game to me. I, I know that that's like a lot and aggressive, but he, has physical tools that nobody else has in the NBA right now. So I would like to see him play with a guard who can consistently feed that because he can high point a ball in a way that other people just can't at the end of the day. Agreed. Okay. Let's take a quick commercial break. We will be back and we're going to dive into our next group of guys. All right, Bryce, let's talk about the number two overall pick, Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller went off yesterday in his best game of the season. He had 29 points against the New York Knicks. It's funny. I feel like if he played the Knicks in every game, uh, Brandon Miller would be having an impact very similar to Chad Holmgren, probably Uh, in that game where he hurt. I think it was his ankle. I think he was like five of six or something like that against the Knicks, like in the first 15, 20 minutes of the game before he got hurt and was playing really well for whatever reason. He just has a really good feel right now against the way that the Knicks are defending him. It feels like other than that, I think Brandon has been okay to this point. I think a lot of the questions I had about him coming into the draft still exist. I also have really loved the patience that he plays with. I love the general poise that he seems to have on the court. He's very comfortable with his handle in mid range areas, which has been a huge piece of him being able to create some shots. There's still not a whole lot of rim pressure there, but I think overall the Hornets should be incredibly happy with where his development is. And I would have him as a top five rookie so far this season, I think, for sure.
1: Yeah, that's where I'm at. I thought this was a guy coming in that could just be a real bucket getter in the NBA, you know, and maybe the defense comes around and we can talk about that. And He was an impactful rebounder in college, so maybe that comes and... You know whether he's a three-level scorer, a two-level score, whatever it is. I thought he was a guy that could really score, and he's done that in flashes. But so, forty-seven percent from the field, thirty-three percent from three, averaging fourteen points a game. So he's third among all rookies in points. He's still six in rebounding. I would like to see that go up a little bit. He's just thirty percent on catch and shoot threes right now, Sam. So I, I would guess that's going to go up. But in. Yeah the game I watched, the mid-range pull-up looked good. This was something that if you scouted him out of high school, you knew, or or at least for me, I knew Brandon Miller as a mid-range pull-up guy. And then he went to Alabama and it was the three-point shooting. And so I want to ask you about two-level scoring versus three-level scoring and the, the ceiling on that and some of that stuff in just a second. But I think I believe at least in those two levels for sure. The Hornets have run some good stuff for him. There was a play in that game where they threw it to Gordon Hayward in the mid post. And then they run a stagger from the weak side all the way to the strong side wing for Brandon Miller. They have him coming off some simple pin downs and curls. Just stuff to give him the ball, which I really like. Now, 10 total field goal attempts at the rim in the half court. So I want to specify that. Per synergy, just in the half court. Not total, just in the half court only 10 attempts at the rim. He has made six of them, but that was a question mark coming in and it's still a question mark right now. So that's something to keep an eye on. Again, can he improve upon that? One thing I will say, Sam, is he is fourth among rookies in free throw attempts. So that is a promising sign at least to counter a little bit of the lack of rim pressure.
0: So I think that where I'm... I'm still trying to figure out where exactly his level is as a shooter. Sure. Uh Is he going to be like a genuinely great shooter or is he just like a good shooter? Right. Then there's a categorical difference in Brandon Miller. If Brandon Miller is a great shooter, Brandon Miller is going to be an all-star and like has really, really high ceiling. Right. If Brandon Miller is just going to be a good shooter, then the rim pressure issues become a little bit more of a question mark, I think. And it it becomes like a little bit harder to figure out where exactly everything goes for him beyond just like being like a really high level scorer. Right. So like Rohan M asks in the comments, do you think strength is the main thing Miller needs to improve offensively gets bumped off in the spot too easily driving to the rim? Yes. uh, Yes. That's always been his biggest concern is just the strength. I also wonder if getting stronger throughout his base and throughout his lower half could lead to generally improved shooting just in terms of having like more consistency, uh, knocking down shots. So I say all this to say, like it's, it's a really, really interesting thing watching him play because he has these games where he's three for 10, two for 12, three for 13 like stuff like that right and then he has these other games like against the knicks where it's just like this is an all-star like this guy is an all-star this is gonna happen and you love the signs you love to see it it's just really really interesting trying to watch him navigate the nba right now and like he's playing next to a really good guard in lamello obviously that team is not very good right now um but he is playing next to a good guard who is like helping to feed him. But also like one other thing that has driven me nuts about Miller just generally throughout the course of the process was like, I don't think he moves as much off the ball as what I would like to see. Like there are so many opportunities for him to back cut his man, right? Just like, if he's in the corner, just go like, go get an easy bucket of the basket. LaMelo will find you. I swear. He's a great passer. Right. Uh, I feel like they don't run off of actions and like, he's never really run off of actions, even like at Alabama all that often. It was a lot of spot up stuff. So how all of that adjusts is where I'm like really watching for with Brandon Miller. Uh, I think he's been really good so far though, for a rookie, like I I'm encouraged by the signs while also acknowledging that like Brandon Miller, you know, turns 21 this week and is a little bit older than like he's, you know, what, a year and a half older than Wemby. And it's just a little bit, I'm still trying to figure it all out, I think, with Brandon. Because they're they're just their limitations still, uh, even though he's been great. And like the comfort level and poise has been incredible. And I've really, really enjoyed watching him.
1: Yeah, I think you bring up a good point. Is he like a great shooter or just a good shooter? Because that opens up so many things. That's what it
0: is. That's really what it is for him.
1: I love to talk about being a great shooter gives you the fastest first step of anything. Like whenever people have to close out hard to you, it makes your first step better. And then to speak on, it's amazing when you really, really, really dive into guys, especially three point shooters. Anytime I'm doing scouting and other stuff I do, if it's a guy that's a really high level shooter. I spend a lot of time working and showing and looking at their off-ball relocation. How do you move when a teammate drives? Where do you run to in transition? How do you do it every time or just sometimes? Because me, if there's a strong side drive and I'm on the weak side wing, Sam, I am hammering to the corner. And whether my teammate gets it or not, I'm doing it every single time to make a habit of it. And so my coaches can tell, hey, your teammate was wide open in the weak side corner. You should have hit him. A guy we'll talk about later, Jordan Hawkins. That is why I fell in love with that dude because Jordan Hawkins hunted. He hunted shots in every opportunity. I would like to see Miller do a little, and I don't want to turn him into exclusively a three-point shooter. That's not what I'm saying. But I would like to see him hunt shots that way and then be able to catch, shot, fake, attack, whether it's get all the way to the rim or just shoot the mid-range pull-up, which again, I think both of us believe in.
0: Yep. Yeah, it it comes down to the shot. If Brandon's going to be a great shooter, he is an all-star like like there are all NBA outcomes for Brandon Miller, I think being a 6 foot 9 shot creator who is as comfortable with his handle getting into the mid-range and everything, those outcomes 100% exist, but it's going to be maxing out his shot making and shooting, I think is how he gets there. Uh I've I've seen a couple people mention the defense you know, oh, yeah.
1: I had that in my notes as too. exactly what they were saying about him being matched with Kyrie was my notes from that. And I just said he had some decent possessions and he had some where he got completely cooked, which I think yeah. we would both expect.
0: Yeah, I, I haven't really liked them defensively, to be honest with you. I love what they're doing. I love yeah. them having him guard those dudes defensively like sure. that's a great way to fast track his development defensively to become somebody, you know, like a Paul George. Like he talked, Brandon Miller talks about like Paul George being the guy that like, he really, really loves and like wants to model his game after like, it's a great way to model that. But I don't think he's been very good yet in that way. I don't think he's been very good off the ball. And I don't think he's been particularly impactful actually guarding these guys on the ball. Uh, he's had a couple of good reps, but like, look, I, I can pull out, like I'm doing a Cam Thomas video this week. Right. Like there were a few reps where like, you know, he had a couple of good reps on Jason Tatum, like on the block. Right. And like held up Tatum on the block. It's that you get cooked, you know, eight times in a game. It's going to be a problem. Um, yeah, I think that he's, I like what they're doing with him defensively is what I would say. Overall, I want this to be like a positive conversation about Brandon Uh, while there are concerns, I think that Brandon has been very good so far and for a rookie. And I think that yeah, everything I've seen just comes down to the shooting.
1: Yeah. No, listen, I love what they're doing as well. This has been my argument not to spin it back to something, but I think we're about to go to his teammate
0: is, well, yeah, this let, was my let's, argument. let's do that. With, yeah, well, which, we're, say, we're with, done with Brandon. Yeah,
1: with, with Jaden Ivey was instead of putting Jaden Ivey on the bench, put Jaden Ivey in the starting lineup and force him to guard the other team's best player. It was going to is what I was going to say as or use as an example. So I like it as well. And yeah, then that'll transition us to the guy who does guard the other team's best player every night for the Pistons.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about the Pistons. Asar Thompson has been really fun this season. Uh, Asar is currently averaging... 11.8 points, 10.3 rebounds, three and a half assists, shooting 43% from the field, 14% from three, 69% from the free throw line. Th- this one is really complicated to me. I feel like everybody is just kind of like appointing him as the third best rookie so far. I think Brandon Miller has been better than he's been okay. so far, just to be completely transparent. I, I know that Asar has made the highlight reel plays and he rebounds really well. And I do like the passing. His shooting is a significant hindrance. I love the way he moves without the ball. I think he's going to be like a really, really good player. The guy that I've always compared him to is Andre Guadala. I think it's probably going to be that. And I think he's going to be an awesome defender. I think he's already an awesome defender, I, the way that it impacts the game right now, I think is not quite as strong, maybe as like the across the board box score production makes it out. If that makes sense. I mean, you watch the Pistons, like tell me if I'm wrong here.
1: No, I mean, it's hard because like, I don't even know how to judge his defense anymore because everybody else on this team is pretty bad defensively. Oh, hor- so
0: They're a horrendous team defensively.
1: And so, he stands out in such a positive way and I don't want to take it away from, I'm not trying to take it away from him. I just don't know what to think yeah. because there's nothing to really compare it to. I think he's had back-to-back games now with five turnovers, Sam. That started to be a little bit of a worry he hasn't shot it well. I'll tell you the one place he started to score the ball decently is in like this five to eight foot range. The last couple of games, he's had some nice touch, just jumping as high as he possibly can, which is higher than most people in the NBA and then shooting that. But yeah, I mean, he puts up huge rebounding numbers. He's third in the entire NBA in not rookies, entire NBA in offensive rebounds. Behind Mitchell Robinson, Biombo, who just started playing, he's tied with Rudy Gobert for offensive rebounds per game. So that's who he's tied with. So the rebounding is incredible. I do think the defense is high level. The off, you're right. Like the, I just don't know how to judge the offense in general. And I don't want to turn this into a big picture Pistons conversation. I would rather keep it on a SAR. But no, no, no. The off- no like the it, offense is so bad, I don't know I think, what to think.
0: Yeah, no, it's important. I think for people to understand the context that he's in. So please just give like a 30 second spiel on like why the Pistons offense is such a train wreck.
1: So they've been starting normally Cade, Killian Hayes, Assar, Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Duren. Three of those guys can't shoot at all, at all. You do not respect three of those guys at all as floor spacers. And the fourth one, Isaiah Stewart, who's been shooting well, has done it for 15 games. So really you don't even respect him as a floor spacer, so it's Cade trying to attack loaded up defenses and no floor spacing around it, and so like even if Asar is a phenomenal cutter, there's not even space to do that because there's already everybody else in the lane. Now the answer has been moving Sue to the five, starting Kevin Knox, Ivy started tonight, but only because Hayes. Was, like it's just a mess. Partly Monty hasn't started the shooters that are on the team, and then Boyon and. Um, Monte, Monte Morris. Morris and even Isaiah Livers, if you want to count him in here somewhere, yeah. none of them have suited up this year. So it's a little bit by injury, a little bit by choice that there's no floor spacing. Asar looks good in transition, doesn't really look good in the half court offensively.
0: Yeah. So the way that all of this is bearing out, kind of like it's, it's really interesting. So when he's on the court, the Pistons have a 103.8 offensive rating. And that is, like, abysmally low. That's, like, untenably low. And when he's on the court defensively, they're still giving up, like, 114 per 100, despite the fact that he's playing, like, with Killian Hayes, who I think is, like, an okay defender. Like, he's pretty solid on that end. Uh, With Isaiah Stewart, who, like, as much as Pistons fans want to rag on Isaiah Stewart, like, Isaiah is, like, a pretty okay defender. And what I think happens with Asar a lot and this is fine he's a rookie he does kind of go and like do his own thing a little bit like he's definitely a freewheeler on that end which you kind of want him to be long term for his growth but i I just say all this to say that the shooting has to come in some respect for him uh even andre guadala like again is somebody that i think that they share a lot. Like, I think people don't really remember how bouncy Andre was when he came to the league. Like Andre was a 33% three point shooter throughout the course of his career. He had 33.1% from three as a rookie. And yeah, like teams didn't really guard him out there, but he at least would take them and like, would figure it out kind of
1: well. And Asar at 14%. I don't know what he shot tonight to be quite honest with you, but with like, some really bad misses, Sam. As much as I love this kid, some of, like it seems like there's an air ball every other game, and so it's not like oh just in and out. It does. It's not one of those where he's fourteen percent, and you're like maybe it's just a shooting slump. It's it's gonna be a process for a little while with him. I also listen. I liked Asar's passing. I like his feel. I know a lot of people thought he had just as good a feel as a min. Like some people thought Asar was going to come into the league and play point guard. That was some people's takes. I didn't agree with it. That was yeah. Iggy was a super high processor, right? Asar may and maybe he's just a rookie, but there's been some passing and looseness with the ball right now that isn't quite as good as what I thought it was going to be, even as a rookie. I
0: I think he's a good processor. I will say that. I, I, like I I, I, I do. I, I do
1: too. I'm just saying it hasn't exactly played out in real time yeah. quite yet.
0: We've talked a lot on this show about what your ideal Pistons lineup is. And we're never going to get it because Monty Williams does not want us to have nice things. But like, where are we at with the ideal Pistons lineup at this point? So I still
1: would go Cade, Ivy, Asar, Boyon, and Durin. I would still do that. Yeah. I've warmed up more and more to, if you want to start Monte Morris, fine. If you want to start Alec Burks, fine. If you want to start freaking Marcus Sasser, fine. I'm cool with it. I understand it. I get it. The only reason I continue to leave Jaden Nivey in there is one, he was the number five overall pick last year, but also I believe in Jaden Nivey's ability to play off the ball, catch and shoot threes, but also like we talked about earlier, he can attack a closeout and keep the rim pressure on a defense. If you tell me that's two non-shooters plus Ivy's a half a shooter, okay, that's fine. I'm cool with it. But I would at least go that length, if not further, with what you've thrown out there going back to this summer. I remember driving a tractor this summer, Sam, before this idea of me being on the podcast you was ever a thought in either one of our minds. Maybe it wasn't yours. I just daydreamed about it. And you telling James Edwards III that you thought Alec Burke should be a starter for the Detroit Pistons.
0: Yeah, I mean, you look at their on-off ratings when Burks is on the court. Uh, they score 115 points per hundred when he's on the court, and they give up 116.3. Uh, they're a negative 1.1 for a team that is negative 6.4 this year. Uh, Burks is like a good basketball player. I would if I would again. The thing that I said about the Pistons coming into the year, and now this is a fucking Pistons thing. But like, I told you this always happens. Thing, that I said about the Pistons coming into the year is we have to find out if Cade Cunningham is a genuine number one. Is he like a fake number one? Is he a number two? Like what is he Bryce? Are we any closer to answering that question? No. And the th- problem
1: is what I'm scared of is we're going to find out the, like we're going to get the incorrect answer in that we're, he's not looking like a number one right now. I even find myself doing it. Sam, Sam, I find myself overly critiquing Cade right now going, man, maybe he's not what I thought he was. And it's because of this stuff. And you're right. Nothing else matters. We tried the defensive thing. It didn't work. Like, let's just find out if Cade is the dude or not. Because if he's not, they're in big trouble and they need it. But I'm with you. We do not have the shorter answer. We don't have the answer and we're not getting any closer. Maybe when this team gets healthy, we will.
0: Yeah, like we've we've tried Cade with no shooting. He looks work. good. When you watch the games, I think Cade looks fine. It's obviously an issue because there is no spacing and nobody to pass to and like his processing reads like go wanting and there's just like nothing there. Okay, let's find out. Let's do something else. Let's yep. put the shooting around him and yep. see where it goes. That's where I'm at. I'm in. Like do something else. See it. And if he's not the guy, I will acknowledge like if he, if you put shooting around him and he still sucks. Cool. Whatever. But. And, and, and I want to put more load on him defensively.
1: Then if that's what it is, if that's the trade off, put better shooting around him. Cause that's actually going to make his offensive load easier. Even if it's the same usage, it'll be lighter usage and say, Cade, I'm going to put shooting around you, but you're going to have to go guard the other team's second best player. You can't hide in the corner on whoever you got to step up and guard. I'm okay with that. Cause that's who I thought Cade was, was just this all around impactful player.
0: Okay. So the next one here, we're going to talk about scoot Henderson, who went number three in the draft scoot is worth noting. Cause it's important. Like where his development is scoot is averaging 8.8 points, 4.6 assists, 2.2 rebounds, shooting 34% from three, nine. Did I catch a niner in there, Bryce? Uh, 9% from three and 86% from the foul line. Uh, it has not been pretty. He's turning the ball over. like He's averaging four turnovers a game. I will say in the last two games before he got hurt, including the game where he got hurt, which I, if I remember correctly, was against the Pistons. Yeah,
1: the game. i watched all game. five of yeah. these games. Yeah.
0: Um, I thought he looked really good in that quarter and, like, was starting to, like, really figure it out speed-wise. And then gets hurt and, like, now we're two weeks behind the eight ball, right? Scoot really struggled in those first three games. I, I thought it was a r- real, real tough spot. I don't really have any worries. He was getting to his spots, like wherever he wanted, basically all the time. It's just the final product is not there. Things are moving very, very quick for him. And the shooting obviously is not there. He has not made shots. I think he's better than a 9% three-point shooter, but I don't think he is necessarily like a great three-point shooter yet either. Uh, Wasn't really making mid-range shots. I do think he can do that. Uh, and then the turnovers were a real thing. Like it was, it was so funny, like watching him, like it was so clear that him and Aiton still hadn't figured out like the pick and roll synergy yet. And you hope that that'll happen. Although like Deandre does like to take up a lot of space. They also don't have like a crazy amount of floor spacing out there a lot of the time because they were playing him like with Matisse Theibel and Aiton for a good portion of his minutes. It's I would like to see more before making like a final conclusion on scoot. Uh, but I will say that like the ability to get to his spots that was there. And that's the most important thing. I think you can, it is the game slows down for him and he becomes more experienced uh, and, you know, brings in those reps and everything Th- that'll happen. And the passing will be there and the playmaking will be there. And, you, you hope the shooting will be there. We'll see. But uh, not th- th- the most important thing is the ability to get to spots. And I thought he was getting to spots pretty easily.
1: Yeah. I mean, I believed in Scoo. I was a huge fan. I think one thing I over, I don't want to say valued, but like I thought he'd have more immediate success after playing two years in the G League. And then like the more G League I watch, I realize like, okay, that yes, it prepares yeah. you for the NBA, but it's but it not doesn't. in the,
0: it. No, doesn't. no, it doesn't.
1: No, No, doesn't. The the more I've watched, it doesn't. We need
0: to stop this argument that the G League makes you more prepared for the NBA. Who is the guy in the G League who has come in and been able to play immediately? No, No. like Dyson Daniels, like kind of could at times last year, but not really, um, because he wasn't there offensively. Uh, You know, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, those guys couldn't. Marjan Beauchamp couldn't come in immediately last year and play like I'm trying to think like who who else who, who are some of the other guys like I'm trying to think off the top of my head
1: uh you said Jaden Hardy did you say Jaden Hardy
0: I didn't say Jaden Hardy Jaden was okay like Jaden just does his thing you know what yeah. I mean yeah so yeah no like fabulous results in the YouTube comments says scouts really overrate the quality of G League play yes those games are hideous like there's something to the players are better in the G League But there isn't any continuity because guys are going up and down all the time. And because of the nature of what the G League is and nobody gives a fuck about wins or losses, like it just ends up being this thing where guys are trying to get their own guys are trying to like prove themselves in some way. Whereas with college basketball, with the NBL and frankly, you know, hand up, I'm going to say it again here is the person who lives in Australia. This is why I think the NBL right now is like kind of the best blend of all of this. It's super competitive basketball and the players are better than college basketball. So like if you have somebody that's really good and they play well there, like that's kind of impressive to me. So I just don't think that the G league is in any way like conducive to this.
1: Yeah, no. And that's what I, I was guilty of that. Again, we talk all the time about lessons learned that's a lesson learned for me in terms of how to evaluate what these guys are doing, but also their readiness to contribute. And that's where I think I way overshot how ready scoot was going to be day one. And then when you're someone like me who thinks scoot's going to be ready day one and he doesn't look ready day one, you go, Oh shoot. Was I way off here? And it's like, no, I wasn't way off. He's just an 18 year old kid playing in the NBA for the first time. He's, you know, he's just young. And so it is what it is. Yeah, I think he'll be fine. He was over eleven on catch and shoot threes. Like, I don't think that's gonna carry. The one thing that I did show up in five games, but that I he was in foul He averaged four fouls a game. Yeah. He was first among all. That's a real thing with Scoot Henderson right now, and I, I don't know that I watched so closely to say what it was like what he's doing it, in so, all those situations. Yeah, I, Maybe you yeah, do,
0: but do. yeah, it's, it's just a real like way thing. over it's way over aggression it it's like he's reaching he it's all like stupid stuff like that he just needs to like cut from his game it's really stupid like he just needs to chill a little bit on the defensive end particularly yeah. um speaking of the g league uh have you gone back and watched the salt lake city stars versus ignite game from last week yet oh which one was that that was the 158 to 99 I, game. I actually did watch that game. Believe it or not, is that the worst basketball game you have seen in the last year?
1: Oh, um, yeah,
0: yeah, it was horrendous. Listen, like, I,
1: I people will get mad at me for this. That's fine. I struggled last year watching OTE stuff at times. I really did. With how well, I some did of those, too. I, I've been very open games.
0: about that too. Yeah.
1: Um. That G League game, I was like, this is, this is ridiculous. Like, I I I don't know what I'm supposed to take from this. I think I said it on the the mock draft. Like, I want to crush Ron Holland for having 11 turnovers in that game, but like, I don't even know. There's
0: I don't no even know what to.
1: I don't even know what to make of this game. I don't know what to think. I have no and idea. Maybe that's
0: a, maybe that's an issue like with the kids. Maybe that's an issue with yeah yeah sure. Uh, like the coaching. Like I I don't know necessarily, but. It feels like to me there's no structure when I watch those games. So I don't know. We'll and see.
1: I, 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 I listen. I hate calling. People. What I didn't like in that game was they were struggling, man. So then they decided, hey, we'll just go play zone. And I'm like, real. Like, I didn't like that personally. We're like, yeah. okay, we're just going to go play zone now instead of really making these dudes guard and do what they need to do. I, I realize zone is a part of the game. Don't get me wrong, everybody. I get it. I'm not like, but. It felt like just like, oh, they're not going to play man. Okay, I'll just let him go zone. No, like, let's yeah. hold these dudes accountable and make them guard or yeah. lose or give up 180 points.
0: No, I'm with you. I'm 100% with you. Uh Okay. Number seven is also a Portland Trailblazer. Somebody asked me about this uh in the comments. Uh Thoughts on Tamani Kamara is number seven here. Uh Tamani Kamara has been really fun so far this season as a defensive player. I have no idea what to do with him on offense. I want to be very clear about that. Uh, I don't know what the role is. I don't frankly know if he's ever really going to have a role on offense because I don't think he can really shoot. And I don't know if he's quite vertically pop, like has enough vertical pop to like really make it work. But I love him on defense. He has been fantastic on that end throughout the course of this early season. Like he has been better than Matisse Theibel defensively for Portland. He, he has been like Portland's best rookie. I think so far better than scoot at least. Uh, and certainly better than like Chris Murray. So he has been fantastic uh, so far to Monty Kamara.
1: Yeah. I'll be honest. Like I turn on blazers games and stuff and I'm not exactly turning on blazers games to watch Tumani Kamara. And I've mentioned this multiple times, but he kept catching my eye, Sam. And so all of a sudden I'm adding Tamani Kamara to my game notes for that game. And yeah, it's it's all the defensive stuff. He, He does some really nice things. I think it was the Pistons game. I know we just talked about how bad their offense is. So maybe this isn't the most ringing endorsement, but he can test at the rim. He got an and one drive over Wiseman. I know, I get it. And then he had a nice weak side box out on the next possession. So I just, I love those just like, Um, sequence of plays like that. And then he looked pretty damn good guarding Cade Cunningham on the ball. You know, we talked about, I think we're both believers in Cade Cunningham right now. He did some really good things guarding him. So yeah, he's six in rebound percentage among all these guys. The effective field goal percentage and true shooting are both around 40%. So yeah, the offensive game is who knows, but I mean, yeah, it's, I think you said it the best. He's fun. He's interesting. I don't even know if I believe he ends up having this great, some great role on a team. I don't know, but for a guy that went in the second round, he's getting minutes. We know why he's getting minutes, but it's still interesting to watch and see. And yeah, I'll tune in some more Blazers games throughout the year to to watch Scoop, but also to see what he's
0: doing. Yeah, he's been pretty fun to this point. Rookie number eight, Derek Lively, the second from the Dallas Mavericks, Derek Lively. Uh, is also playing a real role on a good basketball team right now. He's averaging nine points, seven rebounds, shooting 73% from the field, basically just getting force fed dunks by Luka Doncic. It's glorious. It is so fun. I really, really have enjoyed Derek Lively. I thought it was going to take him a minute. Uh, after that first like explosive game that he had against Victor Wembanyama and the San Antonio Spurs in the opener, he, has since moved into the starting lineup and has just been solid as a screen and roll guy.
1: Yeah. Listen, I don't want to take anything away from Derek lively or like diminish it at all. He's asked to fill a role and he's doing it at a really good level on a team playing at a really good level. And it's something they needed him to do. So you know, he got drafted by the right team that needed his skill set and he comes in and he does it extremely well. He's second in rookies in offensive rebound percentage, third in defensive rebound percentage. He's 20th in the NBA in offensive rebounds and that's more impressive when you I know he starts 11 of 12 games Sam, but he's only playing 24 minutes a night. So, he's being majorly impactful as a cutter in the dunker spot, pick and roll, transition, offensive rebounds. Those are all of his significant play types and those are what they should be right now. And he's doing it at an extremely high level. And there's something to be said for that. I will not diminish somebody who, just because maybe the usage in the role is a little lower, if he does it at a high level in a starting role on a really good team, that is meaningful. That is impactful. And so shout out Derek Lively for being able to do that. Day one in the NBA.
0: Yeah. And I wasn't really expecting it. Like I, it took Derek a minute to adjust to college basketball. And by the end of the season, I thought he was fantastic at Duke. I thought that there'd be like a pretty slow build throughout the course of the year. And it hasn't been that, like it hasn't needed to be that by any stretch. He's mostly just been pretty solid. I, I think like he goes through games where he has foul trouble, right? Like, yeah. you know, just looking through here, he has one, two, three, four, four. Five of his twelve games so far, he's had at least five fouls, uh, plus a couple more with four. Not a surprise, right? Like rookies, especially guys like him, he's going to go through foul trouble. But he's also had, you know, five games and double-digit scoring. Uh, he obviously had the huge double-double in the opener. Had a second double-double against Charlotte. Uh, where they won that game, uh, in large part due to his performance. They also beat Washington a couple nights ago. Uh, he had 17 and nine. I thought that he was, I went back and watched like clips of that game and thought he was like pretty solid in that game too. Just finding open buckets around the basket, finding his way into the paint. It was super smart. And I'm really intrigued to see where this goes. Real
1: quick. Do you think there's a bigger role for Derek Lively? Like, do you think it, Progresses to more than this? You think this is, again, like I asked earlier with, um I think it was Cason Wallace. Cason, yeah. You know, or is this, I don't want to say maxes out because I don't want people to take it the wrong way, but you know what I mean? Like, is this kind of like just this rim running, lob threat, rim pressure, defensive rebounder? Again, super impactful. Or because I know some people, the reason I ask is some people really believed in other aspects of his game. Like thought he might be able to shoot it going into college or be able yeah. to attack a closeout and be a good passer. Do, do you see maybe some of that stuff grows over the next four, five, six years? Uh,
0: the passing has been interesting. He's shown a couple of games where it's been like, okay, I'm going to make just like a quick read. I have never been a believer in the shot, so okay. I, I don't think it's going to be that but I think that he will be able to make passing reads and like do some short roll stuff. Yeah. Uh, Look, I I think it's just going to be like a more expansive, like rim running role than what it is now. Like he can do this and find his way into, you know, 14 points and two and a half assists a game instead of, you know, nine points and one assist per game. Right. It'll be more like that. Yep. I love it. Okay. Uh, Number nine, Jordan Hawkins. Bryce's beloved Jordan Hawkins has been fantastic for the New Orleans Pelicans in the role that they're asking him to play uh, (laughs) early, at least. Like defensively, there are issues and there were always going to be issues for him early just because of how skinny he is. But he started eight games. He's playing 30 minutes a night. He's hitting 36% of his threes. He has two assists, four rebounds per game, 13 points per game. Uh, he is taking threes. They're running some really creative actions. If you want to go see some stuff on that, I did a video on Zion Williamson. You'll be able to see some of the ways that they're creative, creatively utilizing Kaysen Wallace. Go to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Best way to get all of the content for the show. I think that he has been really, really solid for what they're asking him to do as a rookie. Yeah,
1: it's another example, right, of how important it is these guys get to the right spot. If you found a team that values somebody that can run around off screens and you'll do some creative stuff for them and will relocate and hunt threes and be able to, like, I think he's a good shooter. He may never shoot like 45% because of the type of threes he takes, but he's going to yeah. shoot 38%, 39% on great volume, and they're going to be difficult ones that I value and think pressure the defense. Some people disagree with me. I don't know where you land on like the movement. No, shooter they, versus. They're like definitely
0: tr- really important. Yeah, <laughs> They're so, definitely really important.
1: Cause see, here's what I think is you take your two best players, you can run action over here. And then if you're running Jordan Hawkins and occupying the other three defenders with his stuff, either he's going to get an open look or they're going to be helping on Jordan. And now you're truly playing two on two with your two best players on the strong side. So I just, I like what he does. I think there's a little more to the offensive game, Sam. Now here's where, like, I've said this before over and over. I watched every second of Jordan Hawkins' last 20 games last year and broke it down extremely in depth. This is why sometimes I struggle doing big boards because I have a guy like Jordan Hawkins who I feel like I know his game inside and out, and then some other guys where it's a little more surface level. Jordan can and wants to attack closeouts. He can put it on the deck. He is more athletic than people give him credit for. He just struggles to finish that. Like yeah. He can attack a closeout. Can he do what's on the other end of that? Also, Jordan wants to be a good passer. So I'm not saying he's going to average like seven assists a game someday. That's crazy. I'm just saying he could be able to catch, attack a closeout, get to a mid-range pull-up, or get a secondary defender and pass. Because he, he really values his passing he wants to be a good passer and so I just think there could be a little bit of growth to his game beyond just the three-point shooting
0: oh I think there could too I mean this is why I had him as a lottery guy and why I really liked Jordan last year is because I think that he is somebody that could expand a little bit beyond this and you know we talked on Friday one of the questions that we answered was how was it phrased it was what is one way that you know what are some of the things you've missed on as an evaluator? I think importance of shooting is kind of it at this point, like not it in terms of what I'm missing on, but like importance of shooting is just so, so critical to being being able to come in and play an early role and get minutes on an NBA court. If you can shoot, you can space the court for other great players and it allows you to get the reps that you need to be able to improve as an NBA player. So I really like what I've seen from Jordan Hawkins so far. I think that's a big piece of it. Uh, And we'll see where his game expands beyond that. I think for Jordan, as much as anything, it's just like the physical development, right? He might be able to attack closeouts like he's comfortable doing it. But it's what do you do once you get to where you're trying to go? I think. And I want to be
1: fair because, I mean, I called out Brandon Miller, and so I want to be fair here. Jordan Hawkins has only taken 10 field goal attempts at the rim in the half court as well, and he's 2 of 10 on those. So I want to be fair there. He's 8 of 20 on two-point dribble jumpers. This would be huge for him if he really got good at those. But again, he's fifth in free throw attempts of all rookies. So that's a, a little bit of counter there. But yeah, he he's definitely got and I was he tries defensively. Again, he wants to be a good defender. There's just some like strength shortcomings, and some of those things right now. But I, I was super high on Jordan Hawkins. And you know, right now he's been
0: he's been good. Yep. Okay. Uh number 10, Jaime Hawkes Jr. Uh I have loved Jaime <laughs> Hawkes so, so much, uh, throughout the draft process. I, I am so happy he went to Miami where he is a fit, like a glove in Miami for all of the right reasons. He is so smart in terms of the way he thinks about the game. And he went to a creative organization that will just let him be him, which is like, so, so critical to being able to develop they use them like out of post-ups and out of the mid posts and just say like, "Yeah, well, guys cut off of you. Like, you know, you can go and try and create your own shot. If you get a mismatch, like go do it. That's what you're good at. We're fine with it.
1: Yeah, no, I love that. Cause I'll be honest, Sam. Sometimes I watch these guys in the mid post. I'm like, eh, I don't even know if NBA teams really care about that with you. Like, I'm not sure that's something that's going to translate to the next level. You know, like that might be something we need. We don't need to emphasize that with Jaime he's really good at it. And like you say, Miami's creative with it. So they let him do it. It's just, I went through these categories and a lot of the other guys is like, Oh, they were the best at this or the worst at that or whatever. Jaime was the most Jaime thing you could see. Like he was third, fourth, fifth, sixth in just every single category. It's just the ultimate he's, Kind of really good at everything. Maybe there's no quote unquote superpower. I know that's what everybody looks for. You know, NBA teams or they'll tell you NBA teams want a guy that has a superpower. And I think in general, there's probably some truth to that. But Jaime is just so good at everything. It works. Would love to see him shoot it a little bit better. He's at 32% right now. He's 36% on unguarded catch and shoot threes, 11% on guarded ones. Hopefully that goes up, but. He has almost 30 attempts at the rim in the half court compared to these other guys we've talked about. And he's shooting 62% on those. So he's been pressuring the rim in his way of doing it. And he's been effective when he's got there.
0: What have you thought of his defense to this point?
1: Um, it's been okay. I don't have as much there on the defensive end but I think athletically there's going to be some issues. Like Jaime Jaquez is going to win defensively or be a positive contributor just by being in the right position, making the right rotations and those type of things.
0: The foot speed has been like a real thing to look at early on. Unfortunately, uh, But you're right. Like the anticipation, knowing where to be, I think all of that has been really, really solid. The other thing he's done super, super well. He's just an awesome cutter. Like he knows exactly when to time his cuts off of like Jimmy Butler drives to turn into post-ups, right? Uh, he knows exactly when to find those little creases. Like he, he's just really smart at finding little buckets. Uh, yeah, I I think he's been fantastic so far. Hawke's, uh, to this point for the Miami Heat is averaging. 8.9 points, 3.4 rebounds, 2.2 assists. The passing, you know, we haven't even mentioned that really. The passing has been great. Like, yeah, he, he's just a really solid player uh, across the board. I really like Hawke's. The last guy, Bilal Kulabali from the Washington Wizards. Koulibaly is averaging eight points, four rebounds, two assists, shooting 50, 40, 55. I got to wonder how much uh, the three point shooting is a real question at this point, given the free throw percentage has always been as low as it is uh, averaging about a block and a steal per game as well. Uh, playing real minutes though, for a team that I think is probably, Oh man, it's them or Detroit. That's the worst team in the league. Like to- Detroit uh,
1: has to be the worst team right now. Right. Are the wizards worse than the Pistons?
0: I mean, I've watched some wizards
1: I mean, games, they're, but they're I'm just assuming that De- I'm just assuming Detroit's easily the worst, playing the worst basketball in the NBA right now.
0: I mean, like they beat Charlotte by 16, a couple weeks ago, but like, I, I mean, it- it's been not great. Like the th- it's definitely the Pistons because the Pistons are like uncompetitive in a lot of their games. It just kind of, feels like somewhat non-competitive at times when you're watching the Wizards, I guess. So, yeah, it's probably Detroit. It's de- in fact, it's definitely Detroit. But the Wizards, I think, are number two right now.
1: Yeah, uh, Koulibaly, even with all of that on a team that has Kuzma jacking and Jordan Poole jacking, shot, he's very composed. He's very under control. Yeah. The, the broadcast was talking about the other day, like he just, nothing really shakes him. This dude's the fourth youngest player in the NBA. And he just he does all that. He never looks sped up. We've talked about how disruptive he is defensively. I think he's also been pretty impactful on the defensive boards. And he showed some finesse and craft at the rim. He just didn't finish the ones that I saw in this game. Obviously, he's got to add some, some strength to what he's doing. But I really like his game. Yeah, he's seventh in minutes played among all rookies. The usage isn't super high, but we knew he wasn't going to get but you said this, Sam. I brought up like, do you want him playing with Kuzma and Jordan Poole who are just gonna take all the shots and he's not gonna get any attempts? And you kinda I think I agreed with you after you said it of maybe that's better for him. Maybe he doesn't need all of that usage. Let those guys take yeah. all the bad shots and have low, you know, efficiency. And it looks like right now Bilal's just taking the quality shots and, and shooting good percentages.
0: Yeah, it's kind of where I'm at. Like just let him do his thing. Defensively, he's been active at the very least. Like he's always going to be active. I think that the strength issue comes up from time to time. He's just really athletic. Like he is a legit freak athlete. And he is able to fly around like in the same way that Asar is and just move around. I think Asar has the advantage of being what, probably 18 months older than he is. That's a yeah. total guess. I'm not a hundred percent sure on the number, but um, he, he's just been active and aggressive in the right ways for a Wizards team that, you know, because of, you know, Jordan Poole. I, I don't, I don't want to lump people keep lumping Kyle Kuzma in yeah, with Jordan Poole. You're right. That's, like, that's a, yeah. Kuzma like really knows like how to play. And yeah, he ends up finding shots, but he finds shots that like are okay for the most part. Like I, I'm, he takes a lot of floaters, like he takes his catch and shoot threes he'll take a couple of bad ones throughout the course of a game, but like Kyle Kuzma is way better than Jordan Poole. No, you're right. Like, you're fair. That's fair. That's fair. So, so much better. And it, Poole, like we got to look, there was like a report from Mark Stein that like, you know, Jordan pool is not a cornerstone piece for the Washington wizards. No shit. He's not <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but like they made that deal to get picks and to get the draft capital and to have somebody that'll take up, Space like on their team and take up shots, and it's fine that he's making thirty million because they're not going to be like salary cap players here for a little bit. Little bit, Uh, it's just like I don't know. Uh, Um, it's yeah, maybe they might try to move him where, like (laughs) he's going to be there for a little while still.
1: No, that's I'm I'm glad you corrected me on that because you're right. I shouldn't just. I shouldn't lump them into this. Kuzma does take a lot of usage, a lot of shots, but it, it's, it's a completely different variety and shot diet and all of that. So that's definitely fair. That was a good call on your part. And yeah, Asar is essentially 18 months older. Um, Bilal is a, a July birthday, just turned 19. Asar will turn 21 in January. So we're looking at almost exactly 18 months there in, in difference.
0: Yep. Uh, Anyone else you want to bring up like Anthony black, I think he's been good. He started a few games here for Orlando. Like he's been solid. Um, I
1: love Anthony black. I think I love that the backcourt they had there with all those guys defending the crap out of people. I think Anthony is a really, really good defender and I will continue to believe this. I think, especially if the catch and shoot numbers come around, I think he can play off the ball a little bit. I think he's a really instinctual cutter and a guy that can go get offensive rebounds and those type of things. So I know they need shooting in Orlando around the two stars. I get it, but I like some of the stuff Anthony black offers obviously on ball, but also some stuff he can do off the ball. If the, if the jumper
0: comes. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think Grady Dick, I think has given Toronto some interesting minutes from time to time. Like he entered the starting lineup. The shooting just like, isn't falling at all yeah, for yeah, whatever yeah. reason. For he was Grady, like last like,
1: in all the true shooting effective field goal percentage stuff. Like it just hasn't been good.
0: Yeah. Um, like he's, he's just not shooting well right now for some reason. Grady will shoot it. Like you watch him though. Like he moves like, and like he knows like where to pass. Like he processes it. Okay. Like I think it'll, I think it'll come around. Is where I'm at with Grady. Uh, what other rookies? Andre Jackson is in the starting in the starting lineup. I'm sorry for the uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks. Ducks, that has been fun. Julian Strathers had a couple of games. We didn't mention Keontae George. Uh, Keontae George had a pretty solid game a couple nights ago. He had like 16 points. Uh, you know, another guy that's been like inefficient and I think like he's been a little bit turnover prone when they give him some minutes, but well, and
1: we talked about him last week quite a bit with the, when we talked about the Utah jazz, just guard situation as a whole. So I, I thought maybe we'd be okay
0: on that one. Yeah. Um, Pajemski, uh, like, uh, yeah. he's given them when Brandon has it going, it, it's good. I thought he was like really, really bad last night against Oklahoma City defensively. Okay. Uh, you'll watch that game. Like I thought, they really like took advantage of him. But he's had a few games where I think he's been like pretty impressive. Like the game against Minnesota, where uh, Draymond got ejected for you know trying to put Rudy Gobert to sleep. Uh, I thought that game was like pretty good for him. But you know, outside of that game, I think it's been you know pretty pretty quiet and the defense looks like a pretty real concern yeah i think that's it uh, if we eliminate the like 26 oh, 29 year olds marcus sasser we we talked briefly about sasser um like in our spiel on detroit but sasser you know he's averaging nine points two and a half rebounds three assists 47 39 100 like sasser is definitely an nba player and looks like a really really good backup at least
1: Yeah, no, and I think that's probably like he has some games where he just goes crazy and like can like truly get on fire. I think what's impressed me the most with Sasser is he's able to create separation. Like he has some real twitch and wiggle to his game where at his size, he's still able to get shots off. Defensively, it's a little bit. Like he's small, right? This is why it's hard for small guards to make it in the NBA, but he absolutely looks like he can shoot it. He can create separation. If the floater game is true, I think he's a two level scorer with decent passing. I actually think he has the best assist to turnover ratio of all guards in the filtering that I did. So he's, you know, created a little without turning the ball over. Um, So yeah, like I, I think he pencils in as like a fourth guard on a team for, for his, for the Pistons, hopefully.
0: Yeah, like I will have Sasser in my top 10 rookie ranking, like for sure. Like won't have to think all that hard about it. Um, he, He's he been really, really quite good. Speaking of rookie rankings, I'll have rookie rankings over at The Athletic this week on Friday. Uh, Bryce, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on.
1: Yeah, at Motor City Hoops on Twitter for... Pistons and increasing general NBA and NBA draft content, especially as we get deeper and deeper into the college basketball season. I am off this whole week from teaching Sam, which means it's all basketball all day long. Um Actually, as soon as we get done with this, me and my wife have a comedy show to watch on Netflix or wherever. She'll have it figured out. So I'm excited about that. Take some family time here and then, yeah, again, if you're a Pistons fan, the Pistons Pulse, Tuesday evening, 6 p.m. Eastern, um, over on YouTube,
0: will be going live. Awesome. Bryce, that was fantastic. Go to the athletic, or, you know, keep me employed, subscribe, do all that stuff. Uh, go to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's an easy way for you to support the show. Go subscribe to the Game Theory YouTube channel channel game three podcast with sam vicini we will be back later this week i'll have somebody come on depending on what happens at some point i want to talk about sophomores as well uh in just the way that the second year guys are looking in the 2022 class whether or not i make bryce do that or not we will see uh until next time we'll talk soon that's all i've got bryce bye bye <music>